0: Hello everyone. How are you doing today on Tuesday evening? Surviving so far. Um, it is the one-year anniversary of lockdown here in the UK. One year has gone by just like that. Amazing. It's. It doesn't seem like a year. If I don't know, maybe it seems longer than that, or. Um, shorter than that I don't know if that's the case but one year wow it's hard to think what I was doing a year ago (laughs) I guess this you know staying at home and working from home but back then you know I I think it was just still so new and having um, to work from home Uh, and I guess I remember being afraid to go out and ordering uh, my food on Tesco and uh, there was this is a stage where I was eating the same thing every single day, um, yeah. And uh, now, a year in, I guess the questions are, you know, questions on my mind are things like, you know, how much longer will this be? Um, I've been optimistic that things would be better uh, with the vaccination rollout. I mean, it's been amazing how quickly and how so many people have had the jab so far. But um, again, you know, uh, there is that cautiousness in the tone of the prime minister. He just made the announcement, i just watching it, about making plans too soon uh, with regards to travel and opening up and whether things will go back to normal. And also, you know, the vaccine efforts have to roll out across the entire world. So uh, and many countries, many countries are still struggling to get a supply or even to afford Uh, to get that supply chain into that country and rolled out amongst their own peoples. And so we are very, very fortunate here in the UK. Hmm. Yeah, but one year also means, you know, uh, for those who contracted the disease, who were hospitalized, who perished, you know, one year of deaths, um, one year of... uh, you know, knock-on effects with that, you know, people who weren't able to get treatment for other diseases, weren't able to go into hospital for surgeries, um, yeah, uh, tensions arising from just staying at home with your family members cooped up the entire day, depression, uh, people who lost jobs, businesses are closed down, um, so much, so much has happened this year, Um, that didn't happen a year before and on such a wide scale the entire world has had this shared experience of dealing with this um, horrible situation and uh, at a personal and at a national level yeah one year yeah think back to that Mm. i don't know i don't know what to make of it um i think Because it feels as if we're still in the middle of it. It's hard to kind of like take stock because things are still moving. You know, everyone who's working hard to deal with the situation, they're still working. You know, the doctors, the first responders, all the policymakers. And it's worth um, being thankful for that. You know, people who have really served us so well this past year and those who have been served as well, people like us, but also those who are vulnerable, those who need help, uh, and to wonder if maybe there are more of them that might need that um, love and support and, you know, just help when you're in. Hmm, yeah. Mm. Well, anyway, um, I'm carrying on with uh, three of the passages for today, I woke up this morning at about, well, I was up since four, but I uh, took a stroll outside at about six uh, and read Ephesians 3 already. So we're left with three other chapters from the Bible today. Today is Tuesday, March the 23rd, so we're looking at Exodus 34, John 13, and Proverbs chapter 10. Um, yeah, so let's look at that together. Uh, let's start by praying together we come to you as our God who holds our lives in your hands and we trust our lives into your hands we trust you Lord as our faithful creator and we thank you that um, everyone's lives everyone's experiences this past year have been shaped have been directly affected by your will, by your uh, plans for us, uh, by your will to exalt the Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, uh, we confess that we don't quite see everything that's unfolding in terms of how it fits together with your goodness and your salvation and with our experiences, whether it's suffering. Or just surviving but Lord we trust that you are our God who is good and sovereign and powerful who judges the wicked who is holy and cannot withstand sin who has sent his son you know to die on the cross for our sins and who now reigns in heaven he is our Lord you know he oversees everything and He even intercedes for us, He's interceding even for us right now through this prayer. And so with this bigger and loftier picture, I guess, uh, of who you are and what you're doing right now, uh, we come to your word. And asking Lord that you open our eyes to understand and to hear, just simply to hear what you're saying to us right now. And Lord, if if at all, if we could ask by your will, Lord, that you help us to understand how that fits in with our lives, you know, that would be such a great encouragement, um, such a great help for us to live in such a way that would, you know, give us that confidence to take each step uh, for your glory and towards um, that end point that you set for each one of us to glorify Christ in our lives. So, Lord, um, this, this is my prayer, I guess, for today as I read, your word, help me just to look out for what you're saying to us and how that fits with our experiences today. Yet not preparing us for the coming experiences tomorrow. Uh, ask this, pray this, in Jesus' name. Amen. Exodus chapter 34. The Lord uh, said to Moses, cut for yourself two tablets of stone like the first, and I will write on the tablets the words that were on the first tablets which you broke. Uh, Moses was walking down the mountain, if you remember, and he saw all the people sitting against God with the golden calf. And so he threw the tablets on the ground and broke them. So God said, make two more tablets, and God will write on those tablets again the Ten Commandments. Verse 2, be ready for the morning and come up in the morning to Mount Sinai and present yourself there to me on the top of the mountain. Mm. So previously, he had just been talking to God. Moses just been talking to God in the tent of meeting that was outside the camp of Israel. So now God says, come up the mountain. Uh, but he gives further instructions. Verse 3, no one shall come up with you. And let no one be seen throughout all the mountain. Let no flocks or herds graze opposite that mountain. So the whole mountain is supposed to be completely empty. No no, no animals even, not even opposite the mountain. So absolutely clear, except for one guy, Moses, going up this mountain to meet with God. I guess... um, to show how holy God is. Maybe God is still anger, angry, burning in anger against their sin. And so he's kind of like widened the separation. <laughs> yeah. Verse 4. So Moses cut two tablets of stone like the first, and he rose early in the morning and went up on Mount Sinai, as the Lord had commanded him, and took in his hand two tablets of stone. The Lord descended in a cloud, and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. That is amazing. You know, that, just that description of God standing with Moses, descending from heaven in a cloud, standing with Moses, and speaking his name to Moses. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, the God, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. So God is here standing with Moses, proclaiming his name, the Lord, the Lord. Um, um, it's here written Lord, L-O-R-D, in capitals, uh, because God's name is just so holy, the I AM. Some render it as Yahweh. And he says it twice, the Lord, the Lord. And everything that follows is God's character, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, Now, God is not quick to be angry, but he's slow and he's abounding in faithful or steadfast love and faithfulness. It's like overflowing with this faithfulness, this love that is so steady, that flows from God and it overflows from God. And therefore, that is the prevailing character of God, love, slowness to anger, verse 7 he keeps his steadfast love for thousands you know forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin so he's loving people who sin against him who transgress but he forgives them and that's that overflowing love and forgiveness towards them but still he's a god of justice who will by no means clear the guilty visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children, you know, one, two, three, four, to the third and fourth generation. So there is that abounding steadfast love to thousands of generations, but to the third and fourth generation there's that justice and judgment for the sin of the fathers and the children. And it's a contrast against again between these two Traits, you know, both are of God, both are equally true, that God is abounding in love, but he's also just in his punishment, but his love overflows compared to this judgment. And I think when it says there, therefore, that God proclaimed his name to Moses, the entire entirety of verses 6 and 7, that's his name. It's not just the first bit, the Lord, the Lord but the fact that he is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and keeping steadfast love to thousands and then visiting the iniquity of the fathers to the third and fourth generations, that whole characterization of God's love and justice, his mercy and his judgment, that's God's name, the wholeness of his character. And so it's not just the first bit. And it shows that God's name reveals who he is. To know God and to know his name is to know his nature, to know that love that he's poured on us, but also that, that holiness, uh, that fairness in his judgments, um, in our own experiences in dealing with him. Verse 8, And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshipped. And he said, If now I have found favor in your sight, O Lord, please let the Lord go in the midst of us, for it is a stiff-necked people. And pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us for your inheritance. So Moses requests that God travel with them in the midst of us. He says, "You know, not not aside from them." God's plan was for them to carry on, but God wouldn't travel with them. But no, He wants Moses to be with them, precisely because they are stubborn. <laughs> for it is a stiff-necked people. And somehow, I think um, Moses realizes the danger and the grace of God's presence in doing that. The danger is that, you know, God will punish. We are sinful. We are stiff-necked. He will punish us, and he'll be right in doing so. But in a sense, because God's overflowing love and faithfulness, that will, in a sense, keep us from sinning. You know, pardon our iniquity and our sin and take us for our inheritance, for your inheritance, sorry. And so it just establishes our identity, by having God in our midst with us and so he knows the danger of it but he knows that the overabundance overflowing love and faithfulness of God is worth it's worth having God still stay within the midst of his people here in this Israelite nation traveling nation in the middle of the desert you know God don't go away stay here be in our midst and we want you to still be with us even though we're Stiff-necked. Verse 10. And he said, Behold, I am making a covenant before all your people. I will do marvels such as have not been created in all the earth or in any nation, and all the people among whom you shall see uh, the work of the Lord, for it is an awesome thing that I will do with you. Observe what I command you this day. Behold, I will drive out before you the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites." the Hivites and the Jebusites. Take care, lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land to which you go, lest it become a snare in your midst. You shall tear down their altars and break their pillars and cut down their asherim. For you shall worship no other god, for the Lord whose name is Jealous is a jealous God. Lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land, And when they whore after their gods and sacrifice to their gods and you are invited you eat of his sacrifice and you take of their daughters for your sons and their daughters whore after their gods and make your sons whore after their gods you shall not make for yourself any gods of cast metal so god warns them don't repeat the incident of the golden calf you know do not make for yourself gods of cast metal. They made this golden calf out of gold, out of out of metal, precious metals. It says don't do that again. But also don't repeat it when you go into the foreign land. You know, he mentions the Amorites, Canaanites, Hittites, all these other peoples in this land you're going to who have other gods. That you've already done it once before, you will be tempted to do it again. Don't no, don't and, and it's a precaution, it says, cut down all their pillars, all their poles, You know, tear down their altars, because otherwise it will become a snare in your midst. You know, God is in your midst, but this will also be a snare in your midst, in the middle of you. And so therefore, you need to remove all these idolatrous influences, uh, all these temptations, so that you don't repeat this mistake you made at first, but also you don't make new ones. You know, verse 15, make a covenant with the inhabitants. And through, you no know, participation, you know, you eat of the sacrifice. You're invited and you eat of the sacrifice. But also verse 16, through relationship. You know, you take their daughters for their sons. Their daughters take your sons. And yeah, that kind of relationship with other gods through idolatry. And it's actually repeating the kind of idolatry that you've done once before. So you've been fresh in their minds and you think, okay, that's done, we're not going to do it anymore. But no, that temptation, that uh, warning is still there. Verse 18, you shall keep the feast of unleavened bread. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread as I commanded you at the time appointed in the month Abib. In the month Abib you came out from Egypt. All that opened the womb are mine. All your male livestock, the firstborn of cow and sheep, the firstborn of a donkey, you shall redeem with a lamb. Or if you will not redeem it, you shall break its neck. All the firstborn of your sons you shall redeem, and none shall appear before me Mm. empty-handed. Remembering the Passover when they had this unleavened bread, they had to rush out from Egypt didn't have time for it to rise so it's unleavened no yeast but they meant to remember this occurrence every year this feast of unleavened bread verse 21 six days you shall work but on the seventh day you shall rest in plowing time and in harvest you shall rest you shall observe the feast of weeks the first fruits of wheat harvest and the feast of in gathering at the year's end Three times in a year shall all your males appear before the Lord God, the God of Israel. For I will cast out nations before you and enlarge your borders. No one shall covet your land when you go up to appear before the Lord your God three times in the year. You shall not offer the blood of my sacrifice with anything leavened, or let the sacrifice of the feast of the Passover remain until the morning. The best of the first fruits of your ground you shall bring to the house of the Lord your God. You shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk and the Lord said to Moses write these words for in accordance with these words I've made a covenant with you and with Israel so he was there with the Lord forty days and forty nights he neither ate bread nor drank water and he wrote on the tablets the words of the covenant the Ten Commandments When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, as he came down from the mountain, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone, because he had been talking with God. Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses, and behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them, and Aaron and all the leaders of the congregation returned to him, and Moses talked with them afterward all the people of Israel came near and he commanded them all that the Lord had spoken with him in Mount Sinai and when Moses had finished speaking with him he put a veil over his face whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him he would remove the veil until he came out and when he came out and told the people of Israel what he was commanded uh, the people of Israel would see the face of Moses that the skin of Moses' face was shining, and Moses would put the veil over his face again until he went in to speak with him. Oh, wow. What an interesting result of having spent so much time with God that your face becomes shiny <laughs> yeah, and, and scared people. Yeah, it kind of scared people. So he put this veil over his face so to cover it. Otherwise, it wouldn't freak them out. Yeah, uh, interesting. So whenever he went to speak with God, he'd take out the veil. But when he went to speak with the people, he would put it over them again. And I think Paul makes reference to this. We, we read this recently uh, in 2 Corinthians. Something about the glory of Christ. And um, yeah, the glory, the ministry of the Spirit. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Uh, verse. Uh, it's, this is 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Uh, And verse 13, we are not like Moses who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. It talks about how their minds were made dull because the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It's not being removed because only in Christ is it taken away. So whenever Moses is read, Paul says a veil covers their heart. But whenever you turn to the Lord, the veil is taken away. So there's something about reading the Old Testament without Christ. You know, reading God's law and God's word without Christ that almost has this veil over our hearts. We don't quite understand it. We don't quite get it. But only until we see Christ himself is that veil taken away and we're able to understand what is God pointing to in terms of how is it that he's speaking to us how is it that he's going to forgive us of our sins and he does that through christ through his sacrifice but you won't get that if you take christ even out of god's word out of the old testament and he says we all verse 18 with unveiled faces contemplate the lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory so he talks about the shining here as glory that we have this glory now because we look at God's glory and it comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. It comes from the Spirit that God gives us, takes away this veil, helps us to understand His Word. Oh, wow. Okay. There you go. Exodus chapter 34. Hmm. John chapter 13. Yeah. Can I be honest? Um, I'm, I'm a bit distracted today. Uh, so many things have come up, and even even now, and you know, just looking at my phone and looking at some of the messages, I'm I'm kind of troubled. Just thinking about some of the issues that have happened this past week. Um, if you've seen my Facebook and some of my posts, um, you'll you know what what the issue is, and it's it's partly because of sadness. It's partly because of disappointment, um, but partly to do with sadness because it's uh, news that affects, you know, real genuine Christians and I think our responses to those and to those news. And I just wonder, I just wonder what God is doing through all these different developments. And I just wonder if we are responding in a way that is truly faithful and humble before him. Um. yeah yeah. And I, I genuinely I, I, I really am, am pondering about this and praying to God for just some sense of peace and direction um, you know I try to put myself in the shoes of uh, again I'm just trying not to mention what this is in, in this situation and I just wonder you know would I do anything differently it troubles me that maybe I wouldn't and and that, that's the thing that troubles me, because um, here are Christian leaders whom I tremendously, tremendously respect. And I really am scratching my head wondering, you know, how did it come to this point whereby there is almost disrepute uh, against um, Christians and the gospel and our very integrity? And it's, it's just really, really sad and disappointing. And uh, I keep saying to myself, maybe I don't have the full picture, you know, maybe I need to understand how things played out, but you know that in itself is is frustrating because why is it that so much has been capped under wraps when something of this kind of magnitude and scale has been happening in our midst? Yeah, but again, you know, um, you know I'm thankful for good and godly christian leaders whom i think we have in our churches especially here in uk especially here in the in cambridge uh, which just makes it all the more <laughs> hard to understand because these are good guys and these are people with character but yeah, it doesn't 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 make sense and 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 it's hard to reconcile and you you just you You've just come to expect that you're not going to hear anything more about it, and it's sad that the way it means in which you hear these kind of news is through you know non-Christian means, you know through the newspapers. Yeah, it's just it's just really, really sad. yeah hmm. Lord, um you know what's going on, and you know our hearts. And Lord, um thank you for reminding us that you are merciful and um and you are just as well but your mercy and your love and your faithfulness extends to thousands so help us to trust in that mercy to trust in that justice and to trust and entrust ourselves to our faithful Creator Uh, in Jesus name Amen John chapter 13 yeah okay let's let's look at this now before the feast of the Passover when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father having loved his own who were in the world with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who was with him, "Uh, Lord, uh, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, The one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, Not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you should do just as I've done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I'm not speaking of all of you. I know who I've chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I'm telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, Whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. Um, yeah. So Jesus is washing his mati, his disciples' feet. Uh, think of your CEO washing the cleaner's feet. Think of your boss washing your feet. Think of your pastor washing your feet and you think how ridiculous or how embarrassing, how awkward. Jesus says, no, I, I've done this. You no, know, Jesus is not telling us to do something that he hasn't done. Indeed, actually, even before he explains it, he does it first. And I think that's just so powerful. Um, there's something to be said about example. You know, yes, uh, knowledge helps us to understand the example and Jesus gives give us that. But he almost shocks his disciples with the example first so that they're really ready to receive that understanding. They don't understand it completely yet. You know, like Simon Peter, you know, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And to give him credit, maybe he thinks that he is humbling himself before Jesus. Jesus is humbling himself, no, no, I will humble myself before you. But Jesus says, no, you have to let me wash you. You have to let me serve you. He says, you do not understand now, Jesus says, verse 7, but afterward, you want, afterward meaning the cross, after that, you get it. Yes, Jesus served me, and, and I, I need to be served by him. I, I can't serve him actually in truth because what does he need that I can give him? But at the same time, Jesus says, you are to serve, but you are to serve one another. You know, verse 15, I've given you this example. You should also do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master. It's really worth, we are not greater than Jesus. We are not greater than God. And by that picture of Jesus and God, we're not thinking of like that but like this you know Jesus lowers the bar he doesn't raise the bar he lowers the bar of humility goes like this and so we should constantly be starting to go like this like lower and lower and lower and when everything inside me wants to go higher and you know ascend you know be promoted and there's something really beautiful about that I think I think we do see that in uh, Christians who get it they just get it you know especially those who are in ministry, ministry just means service, you know, serve one another, service, that they're just striving to be like Jesus, like Jesus, lower and lower as they progress in their faith, progress in their career. It's not a career, it's a service. But as they progress through the years in serving one another, they're constantly making themselves lower and lower and lower. How wonderful. I think think we do see that. I can think of certain individuals who really, really stick out in that sense, you know, just their humility and their practical ministry that just brings them lower and lower as they advance through that. And he says, if you do these things, you're blessed. You're blessed. I said, I'm not speaking of all of you. I know those who I've chosen. So he does know that one of them is going to betray him, Judas, but they don't know. They don't know because he's washing all of their feet says by says the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. Now Judas is special in that sense. You know, Judas shared Jesus's bread. You know, it's 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 uh it's a scriptural quote you know he who ate my bread so i think it comes i don't know somewhere with from second samuel or something like that i can't remember honestly i can't remember something like that uh, but it's again the fact that it comes to the old testament means it's happened before <laughs> the idea that someone in your midst is going to be this betrayer and again judas is unique and that he had this uh, chosenness among Jesus but still he wasn't really chosen Jesus says he was washed by Jesus' feet and yet he wasn't clean and in the end he betrayed Jesus as the scriptures were told God already said this would happen and it happened as God happened but you know my goodness you know we don't want to be the ones amongst Jesus' service and the one to betray him right I mean that's like the worst case scenario of anyone in ministry you know Not just that you fall from grace, but you end up betraying Jesus. You end up, you know, sharing his bread by betraying him. You know, that would be just so horrible. And I think it's just as a safeguard, Jesus, to not get to that point is that we lower ourselves always and be willing to humble ourselves. There is enough to humble us, you know, in our own lives. You know, the fact that we make mistakes, that we sin, the, the fact that our motivations are always just so warped and mixed and impure. But on top of that, actually just seeing Jesus has served us. He asks us to serve one another in this practical, lowly way. I think that's just so wise. That's just such a good thing to have in practice. Uh, My church doesn't do this But I know some churches You know Like the Chinese church Actually they washed (laughs) Their feet I remember one pastor Only one pastor It's not a tradition But one pastor uh, Pastor Allen Probably one of the Humblest persons I know Really old guy as well When he he became a minister He was like Grey hair everywhere Very skinny Very spry guy Anytime you need anything You call Uncle Ellen, He will be there and when he was ordained, he just found it such a weight of privilege that he took out this old jangly cloth <laughs> that he had for him the longest time because he said, the day that I get ordained, I will wash the leader's feet. And he did that. He did that. He, he, it wasn't something that was mandated, but he says, I want to, do, you, you're ordaining me, I have to do this. And you could see it wasn't just, it wasn't just a one-off. It really wasn't. Uh, it is challenging and I don't say this because I'm thinking of otherly, I'm thinking of myself. You know, I don't think I come anywhere close to how Uncle Ellen used to serve us. With such joy, with such you know, he would throw himself into just being there with everyone. Any dentist visits, hospital visits Drive anywhere He had two handphones. <laughs> I don't know why But it was constantly ringing I don't know Maybe one is for a church And maybe one was For something else But always You know Both would ring And he would have to I remember he would pick me up To drive me somewhere I don't know Like go to Bible study Back then I didn't have a car I still don't have a car But he would pick me up And then halfway He would have to stop By the road Because someone would be Calling him And he would pick up the phone oh, Yes, yes Okay, I'll see you tomorrow And he would put, put down the phone and, You know That kind of Servant Practical again. Practical, so not just saying I'm humble. You know, I speak lowly, but actually, literally serving and giving his time and his energies to help and love one another. I think that's that. That's that's uh, what Jesus is talking about, because it means you get what Jesus has done for us. It's not just you're doing this for Jesus, but you realize what Jesus has done for us. He lowered Himself, and He served us and giving us this life and forgiveness that only he could have done because he's lowered himself on the cross. He died so that we could have this life. Just so helpful. Verse 21, after saying these things, Jesus was troubled (laughs) in his spirit. such a stark contrast, right? I mean, he's just been serving them, giving them more. Then suddenly he's troubled, you know, and testified, truly, truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. One of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at a table at Jesus' side. So Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. So that disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is he of wh- to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Then, after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. Jesus said to him, "What you're going to do? Do quickly." Now, no one at the table knew why he had said this to him. Some thought that because Judas had the money bag, Jesus was telling him, "Buy what you need for the what we need for the feast," or that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out, and it was night. No one knew it was Judas, you know, No one could guess. You know, Judas was just had this face and this persona and this appearance that had nothing to do with a betrayer. In fact, they trusted him. They thought that Jesus was telling him to give money to the poor. Can you imagine that? Uh, that. It didn't even occur to him that Jesus was speaking specifically about one person, this guy. And I, w- I wonder, actually, even when Jesus said to um, John, the one whom he loved, um, said, it's going to be the person I give the bread. Even John went, is it this guy? Is it really this guy? But he wrote it down. So eventually they got it. And eventually all of them understood it was Judas. But still at this point, no one, no one. And that, that's scary i think that's scary to me verse 31 when he had gone out jesus said now is the son of man glorified and god is glorified in him if god is glorified in him god will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once Look, glory glory son of man is glorified god is glorified in him and if god is glorified in him god will also glorify him in himself (laughs) and glorify him at once so yeah (laughs) but i think the operative words here are now you know right now before this it wasn't time yet but right now when he's about to be betrayed right now when he knows that there's no turning back you know it's Only to the cross, and until the cross, that you know this glory will be revealed. You know that you know God will glorify Jesus by killing him, by letting him be betrayed, by letting him die this horrible death. But at the same time, God will be glorified through him. It's not just oh, look at Jesus. God says, God, God will glorify him, but God will be glorified in Jesus you was meant to look at the cross and go, thank you, God, for sending Jesus to die. You know, praise you. That is your goodness. That is your grace. You have done this. And he says, if God is glorified in that, in that cross, then God will glorify him in himself. And therefore, it's saying, therefore, you see that my goodness in there? You see my grace, my power in that? See him as God. That's why I glorify God in himself. You know, Jesus deserves all this authority, and it's therefore he's talking about this exaltation that he receives from dying on the cross, and he will glorify him at once. There's no delay. That means the moment you look at the cross, you see his power. The moment you look at the cross, you see Jesus' lordship. There, it's meant to be this one-to-one connection between his death, his exaltation, his death, and his resurrected life that gives him all this authority and power to rule and to judge and to save verse 33 little children yet a little while i'm with you you will seek me and just as i said to the jews so now i also say to you where i'm going you cannot come a new commandment i give to you that you love one another just as i have loved you you also are to love one another by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. All people and you know, everyone and every, anyone, you know, looking at you, you, you know, think of your Bible study, they to go, Wow, you must really follow Jesus. So that's why he says, right? You know, by this, this love, you know, the love that you have for one another, not, not by your knowledge, <laughs> not by your ability to pray an amazing prayer. that go, oh, you must be a Jesus disciple. No, I it, wow, you guys really, really love one another. You must. It cannot be, it cannot be any anything else than Jesus' love that you're showing towards one another. If you have loved one another, as just as I have loved you. And Jesus says this is a commandment, a new commandment. It's almost a renewed and, you know, a sign of this new covenant that Jesus is giving us. You know, think of the old covenant with Moses. We're just looking at that and this covenant whereby God saves them from slavery. This huge event of an entire, saving an entire nation from slavery through the Exodus. This is the new Exodus. This is a new covenant, the new contract that God gives to us. And the way in which we fulfill this, the sign of this covenant, is love. Love. This is how you know that you're a Christian. You love one another the way that Jesus has loved us. Verse 36, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, Will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Just hmm. shows you know, that um, Peter doesn't quite understand yet what's going on. He thinks that he can handle it you know I, I I will go with you all the way to the end and Jesus foretells that he will deny him not just once twice but three times but there's a certain comfort in that that Jesus knows it is going to happen and Jesus the same way that he knows that Judas is going to betray him but Jesus foretells that he can't do this now but eventually he will so it's not um uh, kind of like uh forfeit and <laughs> the, the fact that he knows that uh, he's going to fail now. He's not going to be able to live up to all these kind of like promises that Peter himself is making. I'll follow you all the way to, to the end. I'll lay down my life for you, even though he can't actually fulfill that promise. Jesus knows it, but he says, don't worry. At one point of time, you will. You will. And by that point of time, you realize how difficult it is, just how scary maybe, how, uh, how overwhelming this kind of promise is because it, will be fulfilled you know through your death peter but again that comfort that jesus knows the times when we are going to fail and the times when we will i don't want to say that we succeed but the way in which he will enable us to fulfill all those you know promises all those services a kind of ministry that um that we hope to do for jesus again this context of jesus giving us this example you know, there are times, you know, you you think you can do this. So yes, okay, all right, I'm going to wash everyone's feet. Oh, yes. Yeah. And, you know, uh, we're going to fail. I've failed so many times. I'm sure you have as well. Um, Jesus knows all those times. He, he already, and he teaches us through those failures, I think. And it's worth not covering them up. You know, the fact that we know that Peter uh, denied Jesus, you know, every gospel mentions this, you know, even in John's gospel. The gospel kind of leaves stuff out, and it puts this front and center. And sometimes we are too ashamed of our failures, and we're too proud of our successes. But Jesus actually says, "You know, I know. Even before you fail, you know, all the times when you're going to fall, you're not going to be able to perform this ministry in a way that you know I want you to. But you will, you will. And I think being having that transparency." And having that earnestness and that repentance counts with the territory, of then continuing on to serve Jesus all the way to the end. Because that's what matters, right? You know, at the end of the day, you want to be found faithful. You know, even the times when you've fallen, but the most important, the most important thing is to be found faithful all the way to the end. You know, that we will be able to follow Him, to we'll be able to, to reflect some measure of His love and faithfulness through us. But most importantly, to experience that in his saving grace towards us, you know, that is seen in the ministry, but seen as well in, you know, our failures, our falls, and his forgiveness and his faithfulness. Yeah. Okay. So that's John chapter 13. Last chapter for today. Proverbs chapter 10. Just scan. Oh, wait. Quite long. 32 verses. So let me just read through the entire thing and then see. It's already 50 minutes. Okay, uh, uh, we're going to go over an hour today. and uh, That's fine. Proverbs chapter 10, the Proverbs of Solomon. A wise son makes a glad father, but a foolish son is a sorrow to his mother. Treasures gained by wickedness do not profit, but righteousness delivers from death. The Lord does not let the righteous go hungry, but he thwarts the craving of the wicked. A slack hand causes poverty the hand of the diligent makes rich he who gathers in summer is a prudent son but he who sleeps in harvest is a son who brings shame blessings are on the head of the righteous but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence the memory of the righteous is a blessing but the name of the wicked will rot the wise of heart will receive commandments but a babbling fool will come to ruin. Whoever walks in integrity walks securely, but he who makes his ways crooked will be found out. Whoever winks his eye causes trouble, and a babbling fool will come to ruin. The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. On the lips of him who has understanding, wisdom is found, but a rod is for the back of him who lacks sense. The wise lay up knowledge, but the mouth of a fool brings ruin near. A rich man's wealth is his strong city. The poverty of the poor is their ruin. The wage of the righteous leads to life, the gain of the wicked to sin. Whoever heeds instruction is on the path to life but he who rejects reproof leads others astray. The one who conceals hatred has lying lips, and whoever utters slander is a fool. The words are many. When words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. The tongue of the righteous is choice silver. The heart of the wicked is of little worth. The lips of the righteous feed many, but fools die for lack of sense. The blessing of the Lord makes rich, and He adds no sorrow with it. Doing wrong is like a joke to a fool, but wisdom is pleasure to a man of understanding. What the wicked dreads will come upon him, but the desire of the righteous will be granted. When the tempest passes, the wicked is no more, but the righteous is established forever. Like vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes, so is the slugger to those who send him. The fear of the Lord prolongs life, but the years of the wicked will be short. The hope of the righteous brings joy, but the expectation of the wicked will perish. The way of the Lord is a stronghold to the blameless, but destruction to evildoers the righteous will never be removed but the wicked will not dwell in the land the mouth of the righteous brings forth wisdom but the perverse tongue will be cut off the lips of the righteous know what is acceptable but the mouth of the wicked what is perverse okay all right this is tough you know it goes in and out through different themes um it's introduced as the Proverbs of Solomon. I think this whole section moving forward is of Solomon speaking as a father to his son. You know, he starts out as a wise son, makes a glad father, a foolish son is sorrow to his mother. So he's almost imparting all the wisdom he has. You know, Solomon, this wise guy, who's <laughs> received all this wisdom from God, is imparting it onto his son, you know, through this relationship with him. And he speaks of God as the center of this wisdom. Verse 3, The Lord does not let the righteous go hungry, but he thwarts the craving of the wicked. It's interesting that what God does, you would expect the Lord will give you wisdom. But, but he says the Lord will not let the righteous, the person who is doing the right thing, go hungry. It's almost saying that you know God won't um, cause you to be unblessed. It's so strange, right? You know, uh, because you know you read Job. You know, there are lots of righteous people they experience suffering, but I think the idea here, and we see, we see it follow on. Uh, the idea, if I would, how would I put it this way? Um, I think God supplies blessing to the person who is living His way, so that he can continue living God's way. If I can put it that way, yeah, I, I put it that up because it talks about um, uh, about you know poverty and riches you know a slack hand causes poverty but the hand of the diligent makes rich so there's a connection therefore with this kind of attitude and character of working hard and being righteous that then results in this blessing but then if you know you're foolish and you're unrighteous and you rebel against God you will be um, go fall into poverty And it's not to say that therefore you're poor, therefore you're foolish, but rather because you're foolish, you fall into this poverty. And because you're following God, God provides you the means in order to continue walking in a way that God wants you to do so. Now, this is um, kind of not the full picture, because obviously, if you walk in God's ways, you know, you can fall into poverty. God can use poverty to teach us to be. More righteous, And, you know, Jesus is the ultimate poor man, <laughs> the guy who is, you know, oppressed and he ultimately dies and gives his own life. But generally speaking, if you have received any blessing, you know, it's not just, it's not so much a reward for your righteousness, but it's a means by which you can continue walking in a way that is wise and righteous before God. And I think we have, if we have that kind of lens, I think this makes a lot of sense. So things like verse six, the blessings are on the head of the righteous, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. So the memory of the righteous is a blessing, but the name of the wicked will rot. So there's a kind of blessing and curse thing going on to the righteous and the wicked. But verse six is interesting. The mouth of the wicked conceals violence. That means um, it's not that you it's not obvious that they're doing this wicked thing. But they are able to speak in such a way that they can cover up uh, their 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 evil doing. But the person who is doing the right thing, it's obvious that God's blessing is on that person. So it's not just between the good and the bad. But the person who is obvious in God's blessing upon this person, blessing is on the head of the righteous. But the person who is doing wickedness, it's not obvious to see that because his mouth, his his smart. Words conceal his acts of violence. So the memory of the righteous is a blessing. The name of the wicked will rot. The wise of the heart will receive commandments, but a babbling fool will come to ruin. Again, interesting contrast. You know, the babbling fool coming to ruin, being destroyed, that makes sense. But the wise of the heart, you would think the contrast is therefore he will live, live on long life, but it says no, he will receive the commandments i don't know <laughs> yeah yeah i'm just tired uh whoever walks in integrity walks securely but he do you do you know i mean by the way if, if you have any ideas please let me know and please please do form your own thoughts about this because you know you're probably paying more attention than i am yeah uh the why where am i um ah verse 10 It's interesting whoever winks the eye causes trouble and a babbling fool will come to ruin. So it's 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 the same as verse eight. Babbling fool will come to ruin, but when the wise of the heart receive commandments, but the one winks the eye causes trouble. Winks the eye. I think is kind of like mischievous. You know, wink, wink, wink. Maybe it sounds as if this person is intentionally causing trouble. Maybe he's It's like very fun for him, and then he will come to ruin. Yeah. The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. So again, this concealing, we've seen it quite a few times. already. Again, verse 6 and verse 11, there's, there's a, there's a, there's, it's the same, ends the same way. The wicked conceals violence. And then verse 12, hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. So on the one hand, you know, the wicked man uses his mouth to cover up his wicked deeds, but the loving person uses his love to cover over all kinds of offenses, you know, to forgive. So it's a different kind of covering going on. One covering up his own bad things, another using it to cover up other people's bad offenses. And I guess that's love. You know, a love has a covering nature that's not used use for self-preservation, but it's meant to, you know, forgive and to conceal, and not to make a big deal about someone else's offenses, and maybe that's that's one thing that's good to be, to be applying. You know, when you see, you know, a wrong or an evil, you know, the loving thing sometimes is not to make a big deal about that, but to say, you know, um, maybe there's a way in which we can forgive that, we can deal with that in a loving and in a fair and in a gentle way. I think that's 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 very wise. I think otherwise. You know, there's just escalation, and people are upset, and there's no resolution to it. But you know, love is always seeking to reconcile people and trying to bring peace to a to a difficult situation. So, hatred, verse twelve, stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. On the lips of him who has understanding, wisdom is found, but a rod for the back of him who lacks sense. The wise lays up lay knowledge, but the mouth of a fool brings ruin near so a lot of mention of lips and mouth you know lips of person who is understanding you know there's wisdom but the mouth of the fool you know brings ruin it means it actually ruins the people around him brings ruin near so the rich man's wealth is a strong city the poverty uh, of the poor is their ruin now again talking about God giving the means for the righteous person to continue being righteous the wage of the righteous leads to life, and the gain of the wicked is sin. Whoever heeds instruction is on the path of life, but he who rejects reproof leads others astray. There's this knock-on effect on the people around you because you refuse to learn. You know, others around you aren't taught. You know, they they are led astray. You you are teaching them the wrong thing. Maybe that's the case. The one who conceals hatred. Has lying lips, and whoever utters slander is a fool. So, again, there's a lot of concealing through the person's lips, and they're trying to cover up this wrong, you know, this hatred, the fact that actually, oh, I'm angry with you, I hate you, that kind of thing. And, you know, whoever utters slander is a fool. So, whenever they speak, they're speaking out against someone else. That's slander. You're speaking badly against another person. When words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. Isn't it? James probably says something along the same lines, right? James chapter 1, uh, I think in like verse 19, quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. Similar to that, you know, many words, you know, many transgressions, but restraining your lips is worth just holding back, holding back and speaking but, well, James adds, you know, listen quickly, take taking in, but then respond after some time. The tongue of the righteous is choice silver, and the heart of the wicked is of little worth. The lips of the righteous feed many, but fools die for lack of sins. Mm. So there's a blessing of many through your speaking if you're righteous. But if you're a fool, you can't even feed yourself. The blessing of the Lord makes rich, and he adds no sorrow with it. Doing wrong is like a joke to a fool, but wisdom is pleasure to a man of understanding. I like that picture. You know, you always enjoy, you know, um, wisdom. You know, you understand it, and it's 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 one of the great joys of understanding something and imparting it to others, and just seeing that the right thing is done, the right thing is said. There's a kind of joy with that, but there's a different kind of joy with um, doing wrong for the fool you know it's a joke ha 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 you know I get to get away with this this evil thing and you know both have joy but it's a different kind of joy you know one is short and fleeting it's just a joke but you know there's a deep pleasure in in the wisdom wisdom of the gospel and wisdom of just knowing God and fearing God, wisdom of just knowing how to respond to situations in the right way that honors God. There's great pleasure in that, in going, yeah, you know, wow. You know, you don't have to scratch your head and say, yeah, this is the right thing to do. And, you know, God has said this, this is just absolutely clear and you just have to walk on this path. I think there's there's just great relief in having that kind of understanding and knowing what to do as, in terms of next steps and reacting to situations the way there is just good and clear and godly what wicked the wicked dreads will come upon him but the desire of the righteous will be granted when the tempest passes the wicked is no more but the righteous is established forever this kind of a long-term view you know after that storm and the storm comes sometimes almost as a way of washing away All these temporary, you know, this useless, you know, this temporary um, wicked people. But the ones who last, the ones who are still here, are the ones who keep God's word, you know, keep God's way. They're established forever. Like Mm -hmm. vinegar to the teeth, smoke to the eyes. Vinegar sour, smoke the eyes is very smarting. So is the sluggard to those who send him. That's the idea. So is the sluggard to those who send him. That means you're sending a lazy person. (laughs) This lazy person will just come back and bite you, I guess. The fear of the Lord prolongs life, but the years of the wicked will be short. God's yeah, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, just just a lot of people live longer (laughs) if they fear God. Or rather it 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 prolongs life. It it actually gives us life. But the ones who are wicked, you know, God cuts short. And the hope of the righteous brings joy but the expectation of the wicked will perish the way of the Lord is a stronghold to the blameless but destruction to evildoers the righteous will never be removed but the wicked will not dwell in the land the mouth of the righteous again that mouth of the righteous brings forth wisdom and the person who knows God who lives according to God's way They will speak in such a way that it reflects that relationship. It brings forth wisdom, but the perverse tongue will be cut off. That's quite a gross picture, right? And the person who speaks against God, speaks foul things against God, it's cut off. And the lips of the righteous know what is acceptable, but the mouth of the wicked, what is perverse. Proverbs chapter 10. Yeah, Uh, good way to end so much wisdom and so much sense, I think, in terms of just how to respond to different situations every day and how to live in such a way that reflects that you really do know God and you're trying to live according to His way. Okay, I'll pray. Um, uh, Heavenly Father, thank you for the simplicity and straightforwardness of your word at times, just reminding us the value of speaking truth and living according to that truth. You bless us when we do this, and you cut us off when we rebel against this word. Uh, Heavenly Father, help us to walk according to your truth, never to let this depart from our hearts, and help us to see the connection, therefore, in living this way, speaking this truth, with then with ministry, you know, with our witness of our lives, with just a general expectation of what how to respond how to live each day how to respond to different situations in life such that you know we keep coming back to your word we keep seeing so much sense in it so much direction in it that it is you who's constantly speaking to us and directing us to live according to your way help us to keep in step with your spirit help us to love this word that you've spoken to us by your spirit we pray this in jesus name amen Amen. Bye.